see all of you today. I'm uh, really excited this morning just about just a lot of things I'm going to share with you as we get into this. But, you know, my, Pastor Mike was talking about that we believing for people, you know, he's feeling and sensing somebody, you know, here today uh, needs to experience freedom, or liberty, you know, healing. And so I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, man, that is so awesome that the house of God, you know, is a place where we come and we would just come to expect those things to happen. It's not some once in a lifetime experience necessarily or just you, a place where you could go live your whole life and never really see that happen. That we contend for coming to uh, the gathering together as the body and seeing these kind of things continue to happen on a regular basis. And look, that's the way God wants to manifest himself in his church. You know, he wants to minister to the needs of the body. We all come here with different needs, with different things. And God is he's well aware of what those are better than we are. And he's ready to meet those needs, to minister to those needs, which is just one of the most incredible things that we have uh, in him, right? And I think about when we we're talking about the people that are, uh, you know, in need of healing or in need of something. And then I think about the people that have already received that, the people that have already had those things answered or those miracles or whatever happened in their life. And that we're not just sitting here hoping for something, we're actually sitting here among a group of people that have those testimonies to be able to share. There's something that's happened already that we stand on, that we link our expectation for what's to come to, right? What was that, a jujubee or something there you just dropped? <laughs> that's a hard candy, definitely not a soft one. <laughs> That'll probably show up on the podcast, actually. <laughs> um, so anyway, I have some exciting news to announce to all of you this morning. Some of you know this, but some of you don't. And Katie and I, we found out a week, a little over a week ago, that we are expecting again. That we are expecting again. Yeah, and... And actually, as crazy as this does sound, we found out that there's two there again. Yes, I see the eyeballs, yes. Priceless. I wish I had a picture, actually. That was what my face looked like, actually. In fact, when Katie shared that news with me coming out of the doctor the other day, I, I really thought she was just kidding. I thought she was messing with me because she's played jokes on me before. She's, what, my sister was pregnant. And she had my sister come over to our house one day and pee on a stick. And then she took a picture of a positive pregnancy test and sent it to me as a text message while I was at the office one day. She did that. My wife. She did that. I'm up here, guys. <laughs> no. Um, and so I thought she was messing around with me. And then... So for about five minutes, I'm like, Katie, I know you're kidding. I know you're kidding. Uh, and then she started crying, and then I knew she wasn't kidding. And so I backpedaled, and then shock set in. And for the next hour and a half, I think we just stared into space. So I know what you're thinking. Look, the fact of the matter is, is people ask us all the time, don't you know how that happens? And I'm telling you, yes, I do know how that happens. 
and the problem is, is that she just can't keep her hands off of me. <laughs> I mean, I am a guy. I have feelings and emotions. I'm not just a piece of meat, you know. It's a real problem. I don't know what we're going to do about it. Yeah. The Bible said, you know, go forth and multiply. You can't question our obedience, okay? You can't. So, so let me say this too. So the, there's twins there, and you know, we got, she's about six weeks along, so we got the report. And what the doctor said, which the doctors always do say, is that you may want to just wait to say anything because the second embryo doesn't look the same as the first one. It's not as well-rounded and developed and everything. And little did he know that we actually been through this exact same thing before. You know, we have twins that are five years old now, going to be six this September. And never forget that point in our life where God taught us some things that would stick with us for the rest of our life. And I'm going to kind of really share in my message where I'm going with this today. But just to quickly give you that, that history, when we were trying to get pregnant the second time, those first two pregnancies were not easy for us. Believe that or not, it wasn't. And we tried for quite a while. Uh, Katie ended up getting on a, a drug called Clomid, which is a fertility drug to help you, you know, get pregnant. And with the first pregnancy with Bella, it happened in about six months. But in the second one, it, it didn't happen very quickly. It was taking a long time. And we had a heart to have a big family. We believed that that was what God's plan was for, was, was for us. And so she was on the highest level of this medication. And it was starting to really just kind of mess with her body and really create some side effects. And we were just going through a tough time, you know. And one night we were coming home from dinner. We were driving down a dark back road and we were just both kind of silent. I suspect each of us praying in our own way. And I didn't realize that she was praying and asking God because she was hurting so much that if this really wasn't what his plan was, that he would just take that desire away, you know, to have more children. But if it really was his plan that he would show her a sign. Now, we don't always pray this way, but there are times when our prayers just come out like that. And God is so good knowing at the point we're at how much we can really go through and how much we can make it through. That as she was praying that prayer, within like 30 seconds, she says... On that back road, a deer, mother deer, and two fawns came running out in front of us. And God spoke very clearly into the depths of her heart that it wasn't just that we would have a baby, that we would have twins. And so that promise was, that was just birthed at that moment in her. And then when we got home, she shared that with me. And, of course, we just rejoiced. We received it. We received that. And when the doctor said that time, when we found out we were having twins, that the second embryo was not going to make it, that we probably didn't want to share that news with friends and family, 
that most likely when we came back a month later, there would only be one in there because of the development of the second embryo. And when we were leaving that day, I remember it so clearly pulling out of that hospital that there was something that just rose up in us in that moment. Something of just to step out in faith in a place where we had really never been before. And we picked up the phone and we just called everybody that we knew, our friends and our family. And we said, it's twins. Just like the promise, just like what we believe God spoke, it is twins. We shared the details with some of our close friends and family to be praying with us and for us. And we just believed and moved forward with that belief. And the next month when we went back to the appointment, lo and behold, the doctor looks and he's amazed. He says, there's two and they are both perfectly healthy and developed and one looks just as good as the other. You're having twins. And of course, there was emotion there, but we were just confirmed and we knew that God had moved in that situation and that he had responded to our faith. And we learned through that situation a whole lot about really stepping off the cliff for God, about really going outside and beyond a place that we were used to walking which was kind of on the safe side of the edge of the cliff, where there was enough complacency and enough comfort where we could feel like we were managing things all right ourselves. We had control. And we realized that it's in those moments where you don't just stay on the safe side, but you step all the way off that cliff out there where nobody can get you out, help you, save you, but God. Nobody, no thing, not even you, can do anything about bringing you through those times except for God. We learned that that was a place that we wanted to live our life in. We wanted to be out there so far for Him that there was never a chance that what we were doing or how we were doing it could ever be fully attained or achieved by anything in our own personal effort or strength, but that it always required the hand of God to be at work and for Him to show up in the situation in order for those things to happen. We didn't want to live on the safe side anymore. It's kind of like the prophet Isaiah said, woe to me for I am undone when he saw God in his glory and we were undone. It was just, we didn't want to go back to being in a complacent type of life. Yes, we loved God and we were, you know, praying and believing for things, but quite truthfully, we were not living in a way where our faith was really just out there and abandoned to make sure that God had to be working in our lives all the time. And so I would ask you this question today. How are you living your life right now? Are you living your life in a way where you're kind of playing it safe? 
you, you kind of take some steps out there every now and then a little bit for God, but most of the time you just better on the safe side of the cliff. You just feel better. I understand. I get it. I know. But I'm just telling you that the life that God has purposed for you, when the Bible talks about how he had plans for you before he even formed you in the womb, that plan, that life, that destiny, that purpose, that's one that he intends for you to live out there on the deep side over the cliff where he is the one that has to always get you through and see you through for those things to come to pass. We're all responsible for how our lives end up. We really are. Each and every one of us are responsible through our lifetime and the choices we make for exactly how our life comes to an end and what has been accomplished through that. God will move powerfully, but our faith and our choices will end up resulting in how our life looks at the end, right? And so what we are called to do is to really just give our all to Him, to just give Him everything we've got along the way. To live with such passion and such purpose and such faith that we are always looking for God to be supernaturally involved in the affairs of our life. And I'm talking about every part of your life here. I'm talking about how it pertains into where you, how you live with your family and your career and your relationships. How you live every single day. I'm talking about all of that, that God wants us to just be fully exerting everything that we have for him to see him work in our lives. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 if you have this. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. But in verse 23, it says... Whatever may be your task, work at it heartily from the soul as something done for the Lord and not for men. This is one of my favorite scriptures, actually, in all of the Bible. It really is. Because it gives me a very clear picture of how I am supposed to approach everything that I do in life. There's no exceptions to this scripture right here. He says, whatever may be your task, we've all got different tasks. We've all got a unique plan. We've all got different assignments. Whatever that may be for you and for me on any given day of our life, that we are called to do that how? Heartily and unto the Lord. That word heartily, when you search that up, it, it doesn't just mean to do it with a good effort. Listen to this definition in the Greek. It means the actual vital breath, the breath of life, the human soul. The soul as the seat of affections and will. The self, a human person, an individual. The way, the, the, how much of ourselves that God is calling us to put into what we do and how we live our life 
goes far deeper than the best effort you can muster up, the greatest attitude you can have while you do it. Those are all part of it. But this thing actually reaches into the depths of our soul. Quite frankly, I don't even fully grasp that in my natural mind. But I know that what God is saying is that when I do something and I'm living some, my life for him and I'm approaching a task or whatever it may be that he has privileged me to do, that he is asking me to come forth with everything I have physically, emotionally, to the very depths of my soul and to do that unto him and not unto men. That I am actually to set my sights as high as I can, that I'm doing this for God himself. I'm doing this unto the Lord. And when we grasp that, that gives us such a high vision and lofty place that we're to set our sights, that there's nothing higher than that. There's nothing above it. And when we're doing it for God and doing it unto him, he deserves every last bit of everything we have when we go to do that. That it takes our passion to the ultimate level in the way we're living life and the way we're approaching our endeavors. We just decided at that time that we were going to be done with any kind of complacent living, just safe, simple type of approach to life, keeping ourselves within comfort walls. We were just done. We were not going, we didn't want to go back to that place. And I, there's a scripture in Proverbs 132, and it says uh, in the second verse, com the complacency of fools will destroy them. Look, God is calling us to live a life way beyond complacency. He's calling us to put ourselves out there in such a way that our faith is always needed to get the job done. That there's always an expectation for God to be involved and for him to show up and then ultimately for him to move, which he does. Him moving in our belief for him to do that is always a part of what everything we're called to do should consist of. There shouldn't be seasons and moments and things in our life where we just go along and God is sort of removed from those situations. That God should be involved in everything we're doing, so we should be doing it in such a way that we're giving everything we have so much so that we don't even have enough to give to finish that thing out and see it through. Are you with me? And if, if we're called to do it unto Him... We also have to understand that, it's, that those things we're doing unto him are also coming from him. That he's, he's leading us and directing us and speaking those things into our life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 36, it says that all things are of him, to him, and through him. Right, So it says in the Amplified that all things originate with him and come from him and live through him and are done in and tend to consummate and end in him. So what I'm saying here is that because we're doing these things unto God, they don't originate in us. They actually originate with him, with his plan for our life. And as we're following his, his leading and we're seeking him through our days, that the things he has planned for us, the stuff on the other side of the cliff, 
It's not by our own natural mind that we perceive what those things might be. It's by the Spirit of God that He's speaking them into our heart and birthing them like He did with us in our life and that we're grabbing hold of them and that we're doing them through Him so it's all in His strength without just what we have to offer that's going to get the job done. And then as we do, we're giving that glory back to Him. It's kind of like circuitry, you know. It just all, like, all flows. It comes down from Him. It goes back up to Him, right? And we're just like conduits in that circuit, man. You know, I've got appliances in my house, and when you plug an appliance in, it just works. But the electricity flows, you know what alternating current is, you know, electricity flows in, and then it flows right back out to the power source. So when you plug something in, man, it just, it just works. And so God is speaking things down to us, and we're living in Him, doing things in His strength, and we're giving Him the glory back for what He's doing in our life. It's kind of like God's circuitry. That was a little rabbit trail. I apologize for that, but... Anyway, um, so, so God is asking us to give everything that we have as we approach the things he's calling us to do in our life and not hold anything back. Look, Jesus didn't hold anything back, and I am very thankful that he didn't. Aren't you? He didn't hold anything back. He gave all of himself, not most of himself, for you and for me. And listen... God is wanting all from us that we have to give. He's never going to ask you for more than what you have to offer. He's never going to ask you for more than what you're capable of. But he will expect everything you've got when you go to live a life for him. 95% of something is still 5% short of 100%. God wants everything that we've got in this life. He wants us to pour ourselves out and fully exhaust ourselves spiritually, physically, everything I'm saying, to the point where we're living a life that's on the other side of the cliff where we could never do the things necessary to keep ourselves up. But God himself has got to be there and has got to be involved in the situation to see us through. He deserves that from us. In our families, in our careers, in our relationships, to live with passion, man, you know, to live with passion for what we're doing. This isn't just some simple passing day, whatever, just write this one off. This is time that God has given you. It's a gift from Him. It's to be valued like that. Precious and worth every little bit. I think it helps us to live passionately when we, when we really understand just how temporary time and this life is. The Bible refers to this life on many occasions. In fact, even us is just a, a vapor. Just gone. Here today, gone tomorrow, right? And when we see how vaporous the, that life really is, for me, it gives me a greater appreciation and passion for the time I have right now that will be gone like that. Two seconds ago that I was talking, that's gone now. Never going to get it back, right? And so... I look around and I was with my daughter yesterday and we went over to my parents' house and we were driving to pick some things up and, and as we're driving down the road, I just I had this overwhelming feeling like I, I saw myself, remember myself, walking home from the bus stop of school when I was about her age. And I can remember those things very clearly. Boom, that's gone almost 30 years ago. And here she is just about the age I was at that moment. And I don't know about you, but man, that just makes me want to live with everything I've got right now because it's going to be gone. It's going to pass. 
And God deserves that from me. He really does. He deserves everything I've got to offer. And the beautiful thing is, is that as we pour ourselves out like that, and we offer up everything we have to Him, knowing full well that it's simply not going to be enough in the end, that as we offer everything we have, that's when He is able to continue from where we stop and go the rest of the way, and we go with Him to see the great things of God for our destiny come to pass. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 does a great job of painting this picture. It talks about how in weakness we find strength. And I think that's one of the great ironies of strength is that it's actually found in weakness. Spiritually speaking, God's strength stuff here, right? Not human strength stuff. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 9 and 10, Paul says, he's speaking what God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul then goes on to say, Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That doesn't make much sense to the natural mind. How are you weak and strong at the same time? Think about that. How's that possible? It's possible because as we expend ourselves and give God everything we have and we reach the edge of ourselves, our own limitations, we come face to face with the reality of our weakness as it pertains to the things in this life we're called to walk out. And it's in that moment of discovering face to face, which is the only place you can truly grasp it, the weakness that we have where we really become desperate for his strength. And his power is able to work and manifest itself in our lives in a way beyond what it ever could because it's in our desperation for his strength and our faith and our crying out that it comes and moves in our life in full force. And that's where we're out there on the other side of the cliff, just living out there where he is the one that has to get us through. So a lot of the greatest stories that we read in the Bible, one of them that is always a, a favorite is David's mighty men. David's mighty men of valor. And there were three that were distinctly recognized above all of them as being the greatest in terms of what they accomplished in their life for God and their loyalty to David. And I've always loved this story, but I want you to see as we read this, we're going to read this in the message version here. I want, oh no, I'm sorry, it's in New King James. I want you to see that as we read this, that what happened for all three of these men was completely impossible for them to achieve if they were operating within the limitations of their own strength and their own abilities. That what you see was achieved had to have been a result of them being out there so far where they were trusting in God, giving every last bit of what they had to go and do what they believed God was calling them to do. And it's in 2 Samuel chapter 23... It says, this is the listing of David's top men. It actually is in the message version. I forgot to tell you this, Jake, so why don't you just let me read it. This is the listing of David's top men. Josheb Beshebeth, the Tehekomanite, 
He was chief of the three. He once put his spear to work against 800, killed them all in a day. Eliezer, son of Dodai, the Ahohite, hate to have that name, was the next of the elite three. He was with David when the Philistines poked fun at them at Pasdamin. When the Philistines drew up for battle, Israel retreated, but Eliezer stood his ground and killed Philistines left and right until he was exhausted, but he never let go of his sword. A big win for God that day. And then the army rejoined Eliezer, but all there was left to do was the cleanup. And then Shammah, the son of Agri the Herorite, was the third of the three the Philistines had mustered for battle at Lehi, where there was a field of lentils, and Israel fled before the Philistines, but Shammah took his stand at the center of the field, successfully defended it, and routed the Philistines. Another great victory for God. All three of these men in these stories, does a man have the ability to kill 800 men? Does a man have the ability to continue fighting with his sword in his hand when physically he's reached the point of exhaustion and continue to defeat the enemy again and again and again? I say to you, no. That there's this, the power and the strength of God that we see in the lives of these men who had fully expended themselves and given everything they'd had physically, emotionally, they poured themselves out to the point they had nothing left. And the power and the might and the strength of God is holding them up and seeing them through the rest of the way. Do you see that? God has consistently throughout time and throughout the scriptures asked men to do things, men and women, to do things that they were incapable themselves of doing. And that in itself was the point. Moses, Elijah, Abraham, go on and on and on. The things that God called them out to go and do. Gideon. And they looked and said, what are you talking? I can't do that. God has continued to ask men over and over again, and he's asking you and I today because he doesn't change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever asking and calling upon us to do things and move in things in our life that we would love to see. But we've got to understand, just like the prophets of old did, we ourselves are incapable of those things. But as we give God everything we have to offer, all of ourselves poured out, exhausted for Him, living life with passion, every moment to the fullest, and everything we have and everything that we do, that God will bring the provision, He will bring the empowerment, He will bring the strength that we need so that we can see those things come to pass in our days. And I, for one, want that desperately. I don't want to fall short of the great and mighty plans that God has purposed for me in my life. I want to see them all. I want to see them in my family and in the way I raise my kids. I want to see them in the way I lead people in his church, in the way that I do everything that I'm called to do. I don't want what Matt Heck can do. I want what only God can do in all of those things, in all of them. And I don't want to retract back ever into a place of complacency. I've become discontent with complacency. It's, I, I like that. 
And that's what I believe we've got to get to, we've got to be at, so that we know that this just simply will not do. This is just not big enough. This is, I'm just, the path that I'm on, it's just, it's already been paved. It's just, I'm not even in the bushes, you know? It's just, look, man, God calling you out to something, you're going to be getting stickers all over your legs because you're blazing a trail, you know, where nobody else has been. And think about today's the Super Bowl and big platform, people playing on national television, the world is watching. I mean, this is like the, uh, the climax of everything that happens all year. And these guys train for these moments and they train to the point of exhaustion. The way these guys train is what gives them that ability to perform at the levels that they're performing at. You ever watch the specials on the Navy SEALs, the boot camp stuff that they go through? You know, those guys, they constantly just pass out. They're underwater so long to where they can't take it anymore. And if they ring the bell and they give in, they're gone. But when they pass out, or they just kind of like, you know, they're, 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 fatiguing and they just go until they can't go anymore and it's by stretching themselves to the edge of the physical ability that they gradually get stronger and stronger and stronger to be able to move into further places that they were never able to move at before and they simply could never reach those places if they wouldn't have stretched themselves and exhausted themselves to the edge of their limitations they just can't and that's why it's navy seals and when we live our life for God, try to think of it like that. Like we are really trying to push ourselves and give God so much of what we have to where it's everything that we have nothing left to give. And then God continues to take us the rest of the way. And we get stronger and stronger and stronger through our days as we live like this. I want to live my life every day like this. And the Bible, I believe is very clear that we're called to approach this blessed gift of life and days in this exact manner. The Bible refers to our life in many cases as a race, right? As a race that we are running. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. It says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And he's referring to our life here. Race is reflection of life. And if we're to run in a way that we obtain the prize, that means a runner that's running to win the trophy holds nothing back. They hold nothing back. They give everything they've got to their fullest ability in order to achieve that prize. And that's exactly how we're supposed to approach our life. They're running to the point of exhaustion, to the point where they could do no more than everything they've laid on the field that day. Are we laying everything on the field of life day by day? I ask myself that question all the time. I don't measure up every day, but let me tell you, this drives me. This fuels me. This is the way I know I'm meant to go through life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 2 says, Therefore we also, 
Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with intense desire to run wide open is what that means with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith run wide open live wide open man live with everything you've got hold nothing back I've never met met a man or a woman who ever regretted a day that they gave everything they had even if it didn't work out the way that they maybe hoped or thought it would but I've met many a people who have regretted dormant complacent still seasons in their life where they had more in the tank that they simply did not expend I don't ever want to say that run wide open there's this guy that I used to work with, and he let me borrow one time a thatcher for my yard. And I needed to rake up the grass. It was a power thatcher. And something happened, and I'm, you know, I'm not a mechanic. Something happened where the thing just started running, like, wide open. Like, I mean, it was screaming. And but I was just like, yeah, this is awesome. It was just ripping that stuff out of there. I was like, this is great, you know. And I'm like, that sounds really loud, but I don't know. I don't know anything about this. So I just kept going. And I made like three or four passes back and forth. And finally it just blew up. It just blew up. Yeah. So I blew the motor in the thing. And the reason was is because that thing was running wide open but it just simply wasn't able to sustain that type of operation. And when we live wide open, God will sustain us through the days ahead as we continue to do that. I was just thinking about that story. I'm like, you know, everything else is, is going to break. It's going to fall apart. I mean, without God, it doesn't work. But with God, it, it does he sees it through, man, because his supernatural power is the only thing that can continue to fuel that operation that we call our lives, right? Paul said, I finished my race with joy and the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus. He said that in Acts chapter 20 and in 2 Timothy 4. He said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race and I've kept the faith. Listen, if you can read through the scriptures and all this stuff where it talks about our life as a race and how we're meant to run and the way we give of ourselves. And you can conclude something different. Then, Okay, I, I'm not going to argue with you about that. But when I approach these holy scriptures and I see the way that men and women that lived out there for God did, I can conclude nothing else. I, this is simply how we're called to give of ourselves as we go through this life. Give everything we have unto him and then knowing that he will continue to give to us as we're doing that the things that he has for us we don't set the course of our life so much as we set the level of the effort that we give and how much of ourselves we are willing to pour out for him i love this quote says this is from a lady named Emma Bombeck it says when I stand before God at the end of my life I would hope 
that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say, I used everything that you gave me. Isn't that powerful? It's so powerful. And I would just say to you, that it, it is far better for us, far better for us to consistently come to the end of ourselves and our abilities and come face to face with our weakness as it pertains to what we're believing we're called to do and grow desperate for God's strength and his empowerment and to see that in our lives and to live comfortable and complacent and maybe never fully be exposed to our weakness but yet never fully grasp how desperate we should be for God's strength and to see that happen in our lives in weakness